KYW Original Podcasts. From the KYW Studios in Philadelphia, this is Cinema Obscura. We've always welcomed suggestions on Cinema Obscura, but it isn't every day we get a tip from a bona fide cult legend. However, that's exactly what happened not long ago when Alan Spencer, the creator of the 1980s police spoof Sledgehammer, tweeted us a particularly strange pick, a team-up between one of the most celebrated performers of the 20th century and a legendary horror director making his swan song. I'm Andre Bennett, joined by Frank Trainer, and this week we're talking about the 1974 horror fantasy Shanks. Trying to take my gene, huh? Hmm? Don't pretend you can't kill! You dragon bum! You've had enough! Give me that! Barton, give me that! A drunk for a husband. And a deaf mute as a stepbrother. I might as well be dead. Frank, this was a really weird one. Oh, well, yeah, that's putting it mildly weird. I found this at my local library, which is basically a place where all the neighbors donate hardcover, paperbacks, DVDs, and I was surprised to find it there. And when I brought it back, the librarian said, so what do you think? I said, it's as weird as the cover. I think it's actually weirder than the cover. It is something. I'm not sure what that something is, but well, I'll let you go. (laughs) Shanks was the final film directed by iconic filmmaker William Castle. Longtime listeners might remember we discussed Castle way back in our second episode, available in the archives at kywnewsradio.com. Castle had a reputation for releasing his movies with weird gimmicks, like eerie props in the theater, vibrating chairs, and even letting the audience choose the ending. And he had some really, really good uh, low-budget films, and I was expecting more of the same when I started watching this and didn't quite get that. Well, he didn't really have that kind of gimmick here, but it's still something different. Castle wanted to work with Marcel Marceau, himself an icon in the world of pantomime. Yes, and uh, I was expecting, because I had never seen this, well, maybe it'll be funny, sort of like when he was in Mel Brooks's silent movie and he has the only real line of dialogue in the whole film. And I thought, you know, okay, let me see what happens here. And I would go rent Mel Brooks. Well, my feelings on this, I'm still kind of putting together because wasn't very long ago that I watched this, and I'm still processing it. This movie is certainly very surreal. Marceau plays a deaf and mute puppeteer, Malcolm Shanks, who is very good at his craft, but he also plays an elderly inventor, Old Walker, who has developed a way to reanimate the dead. Walker hires Shanks to help him with his experiments. He pays him a lot, but Shanks lives with his cruel stepsister and her violent drunk of a husband. It's worth mentioning that this movie builds itself as a grim fairy tale. Yeah, and I was expecting all kinds of stuff because of that. You know, the the real grim bedtime stories were anything but. They kept little kids up at night and grown-ups who were reading those stories to little guys. And I thought, okay, well, this could be very interesting. And then, like you said at the very beginning, it's weird. I wasn't sure what I was watching. Was it a comedy? Was it a drama? Was it a horror film? And then sort of out of nowhere, bikers show up and it's, yes. it's just, it's the kitchen sink, you know, it, it, it's everything in there. And Marcel Marceau, as great as he was as a mime artist, I just don't think he was the best choice for the lead role in this film. I think this movie could only 
have been made with him in the lead. That said, I don't necessarily know that it had to be made. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was made, and there are some very positive things about this. The effects are pretty cool, and the music is great. Actually, that score was nominated for an Oscar. Oh, I didn't know that. It's uh, by uh, by Alex North. It's a very good score, and you know, photography is not bad, and the budget is probably more than Castle had to work with when he was at Columbia Pictures doing most of the films that uh, this audience would know him from. And he had all the right elements. He had a weird story. He had a very unusual lead actor. Good music, and you know the the brothers Grimm potentially as the. Uh, the basis for this whole plot. And then I guess it just didn't all come together. Maybe the best parts were on the cutting room floor. I'm just hoping that was the case. Well, I agree that it seemed like a much more expensive production than Castle had done up to that point. It's worth mentioning that he had produced Rosemary's Baby. Right. So from that, he tried to kind of move into more serious horror, I suppose, less schlocky. Yeah. And, and that apparently is what drew Marcel Marceau to the project. And then he got all Charlie Chaplin on him, apparently from reading about this film that, uh, you know, he said, well, Chaplin, you know, spent whatever it took. He shot as long as he had to shoot to get it just right. Well, I know they both had similar talents when it comes to miming, but mm-hmm. I mean, Charlie Chaplin is Charlie Chaplin and this cat ain't Chaplin. Well, I did enjoy him a lot as old Walker. Uh, Castle had cast him after seeing him miming uh, youth, maturity, old age, and death. And he's very good at the old age part. Despite the kind of hokey old age makeup, I've found him very believable as the elderly inventor who takes Shanks under his wing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he did a good job in that portion of the dual role and... It just has a lot of holes in it, and I'm not sure if that was intentional, if it was the result of the budget, editing, studio, getting involved and saying, you know, fix this, fix this. I just don't know. It has one big hole for me, and that's how these corpses don't smell. I didn't (laughs) didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's another thing. I'll add that to my list here. Why didn't the bodies smell? Again, Old Walker has developed a way to reanimate dead bodies, and he has seen how great of a puppeteer Shanks is, so he hires him to kind of help him make it work. And they start with animals, but then Walker dies, and Shanks decides to continue Walker's experiments using Walker himself. They had already made the whole thing wireless, but he manages to actually make it work and work Walker's body like a marionette. Yeah, and And that was interesting. Yeah. A lot of this, the physicality involved is really good. Philip Clay, who plays Mr. Barton, Shanks' brother-in-law, and Scylla Chelton, who plays his stepsister. Chelton actually was a part of Marceau's troupe, so she had that mime experience. And Clay, his physical comedy, was wonderful. All of that was a joy to watch to a point. There's this one scene... So I guess if we're talking about their physicality, then those characters die. And it's so amazing. The scene where the uh, brother-in-law bites it, he comes to Walker's house because they basically take Shanks's paycheck. And Shanks keeps like a little of it for himself. But they treat him like Cinderella and they take his money. 
And so when he when he stops going to work because Walker dies and he has no way to convey that to them because he can understand them to a point because he can read lips, but they don't believe that he can't hear and they just basically don't really attempt to communicate with him on any meaningful level. So Barton drunkenly storms over to – because he's always drunk. He storms over to Walker's house, sees that Walker has yeah. passed on and then that becomes this giant production and then a rooster that they had reanimated previously – Shanks uses him to attack his stepbrother, and that sequence is wild. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, that that was good. That, that that really was good. And then it gets crazy again because I couldn't figure out. Was it a dream sequence towards the end there? And oh yeah, and the bikers and how did that all figure in? The last scene. I'm still trying to figure that out too. I don't want to give away how his stepsister dies because that to me is one of the movie's best bits of truly grisly dark humor. Mm, yeah. But suffice to say, she does die and Shanks lets his young assistant in on the whole thing. The scene where she discovers that – where she realizes that they are dead is truly upsetting and disquieting but she ends up going along with it. And this is another movie – we talked about Great Balls of Fire recently, but to my surprise, here's another movie where the older lead has a weird, inappropriate relationship with a teenager. And although this was just implied, it was still gross. And then it comes to a horrible, horrible end. Oh, it does. Or did it? Was it just a dream? Yeah, exactly. And we're just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, so somewhere in the movie, a bunch of bikers show up entirely out of nowhere. You see them. One of them dies. And then the rest of them carry him to Walker's house where Shanks is having a birthday party for his assistant Celia, a birthday party where they're the only ones there and Celia's wearing what looks like Walker's wife's wedding dress. And again, yeah. like I said, inappropriate. Weird. The, the bikers yeah. come in and do they just not lock the doors? Right. They just walk into the house. Right. I'm like, How? Yeah, I just couldn't figure out, you know, okay, we got Mimes, we've got uh, the Brothers Grimm, and we've got marionettes, and now we've got bikers. Like that whole part with the birthday party and the bikers, it was where it became less of a strange delight and more of a disturbing I know, it's it's tough to put into words how you feel when you get to that point in the film and – just seconds after I finished watching it, I, I sent Andre a message online. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't tell you what that message actually said, but the gist of it was, what did I just watch? What was that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt the same way when I watched it. Actually, I did talk to your son, Sean, about this movie a while back because I mentioned that we were going to be doing it and he had already seen it. Of course he had. Yeah. <laughs> And he said that he didn't think it really lived up to the promise of Castle working with Marceau. And I have to agree that the ending didn't quite go there because it all boiled down to a fight scene. And if you ever wanted to watch Marcel Marceau fight a biker, I mean, it's kind of a letdown in the end. Why would that be something you would want to watch? Yeah, this had the potential to be a truly wondrous, almost balletic sort of fantasy. Right. It could, it it just, could have been classic material. Yeah. And it, it really could have been. And it ended in sort of an ugly fashion. It's really kind of disappointing considering the build yeah. was actually like very little I had seen before. 
I don't know how it did at the box office. 1974 is when it came out. There was a lot of good films out that time period, so it probably got lost in the the shuffle, probably wound up at the drive-in circuit. I was a big drive-in fan, but I sure as heck didn't see it back then. And it was something that was not on my radar, and I was in college when that would have come out, and never heard of it until we got the suggestion to take a look at it. I'm glad we did. I'm glad I did look at it because, again, you know, it's not terrible. It's weird and it has a lot of faults, but it also has a lot going for it if you're approaching it like, okay, I want to see something weird and it does have some really cool stuff in it. So, uh, you know what? I'll spend two hours to check that out. I love weird movies, obviously. It's a particular focus here in Cinema Obscura. We've we've done a lot of movies that are considered strange and just out of left field. This movie, to me, had so much potential. There are some high points here. Like I said, all of the physical comedy bits with his stepsister and brother-in-law are really quite wonderful. And some of it is just gruesomely acidic humor that I kind of enjoy. And there's a lot of that at least in the first 45 minutes or so of this movie. And there's even this one scene where he has his dead relatives as their servants for this birthday party and his stepsister starts cutting the birthday cake and accidentally cuts off her finger. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Right, this has potential. Yeah, Yeah. and it's a very atmospheric movie. The sets are wonderful. Right. Then again, sets weren't particularly a problem with Castle because, like, I remember Mr. Sardonicus was a wonderful-looking movie, I mean, for the time. This movie's kind of a piece of that. I I thought it was unusually good-looking for a Castle film, but, again, he had more to work with at this point in his career and, I guess, towards the end of his career because this really kind of marked that. I liked a lot of the nods to silent movies, the inner titles. As someone who's made a number of silent films, I appreciated that. But then, like you said, it just went off the rails. So, yeah, that last scene, which really flashes back to the first, and it makes you wonder, was all of it a dream sequence right. or was that scene a flashback? Right. Is this Bobby Ewing coming out of the, sh- yeah. the shower on Dallas? Yeah. I'm still scratching my head, and I know you are still trying to process it. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that means, but it's, it's – I, I just <laughs> – yeah. Well, you know, you said just a moment or two ago that it was uh, gruesomely interesting, and uh, you're in good company. The late, great film critic Roger Ebert, he gave the film two stars, and he described the film as a disappointment, though he credited Marcel Marceau and his performance, describing it as always interesting and sometimes gruesomely funny. Yeah, Roger did enjoy Marceau's performance in it. And I I did up to a point, but when the whole thing boils down to him just having a fist fight on a parapet with a biker, it's just, what's the point? Shanks is available on DVD and Blu-ray and to rent or buy digitally on Amazon and Google Play. Frank, any last thoughts? I was disappointed in that I wanted more, but the little nuggets from this film, which again... Ain't great, are well worth your time. I think you'll enjoy several aspects of the film, but not the film as you're probably going to think when you watch it. This could have been so much better, and it doesn't deliver on that. I agree. I think it's a curiosity, but not much more than that. I don't regret watching it. I think it's worth watching once. Yeah. And again, thanks to Alan Spencer 
the creator of one of my old favorite television shows, Sledgehammer. Oh, just a for, terrific show. For chiming in and actually tweeting this to us. I was honestly very excited just that he he's acknowledged He's out there listening. That's I'm hoping great. so. Thank and I'm you sorry, so much. And I'm sorry that I didn't like it as much as uh, I wanted to. But Sledgehammer still owns if you get a chance to check that out. I'll recommend Sledgehammer any day of the week. Oh, I yeah, love that show classic. so much. Oh, it was so funny. Thank you very much, Frank. Thanks for having me. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Andre Bennett with Frank Trainer. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced at the KYW Studios in Philadelphia. You can find this and other KYW shows on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. It's our money. It's our money!